Hey everybody, it's your host Hampton Dorch. I wanted to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by O'Henry's Coffee. I go there all the time here in Birmingham. If you're here, check them out. If you're not, check them out online. They have some awesome coffee and it's just a great environment to go and have conversations like this. Let's hop in. What is it that is going to take you off of that path? Why do plans fall apart all the time? Well, it meets the enemy. And in this case, the enemy is distraction. And the thing is, a lot of times, the best distractions, the ones that really hurt us the most, are actually good things. They're not necessarily bad things. Hey, everybody. I want to let you know that I have made a new friend in the last week. Steven Corson is a guy who had me on his podcast, and now he's going to be on mine. And we're going to talk a lot about, about a lot of good stuff today. So, Steven, welcome to the show, man. Hey man, good to see you again. It's it's been weird doing uh, you know, being the host of one and now I'm the guest on another. So at least we confirmed that I'm wearing a different shirt this time. So it doesn't look like the same episode. Yeah, that that was really important. I'm glad that we did that. Uh I, I think the most important question of the day, and this is the most important, is we have to hear about your new alter ego. Is is that what I've been seeing lately? <laughs> Tell me about that guy. Yeah, you that is definitely it. Okay, so basically his name is Hotshot. And uh, what happened, he's not just an alter ego, he's a super alter ego. And what is what happened is um, in I've, I've been doing coaching for the past five years. And then recently I went and I created um, uh, or I went through a public speaking program, how to do keynote speeches, different things like that. And um, my the the keynote title or uh, speech that I created was called You Are the Hero. It's all about, you know, telling people like, hey, you are the hero to your story kind of thing. Well, as I was doing it, I was kind of uninspired by my own examples because everything I talk about tends to be about money. And I'm not saying the stories wouldn't have inspired other people, but the thing is, it's like my behaviors around investing in money now, I developed those over 10 years ago. They're automatic. So it's not inspiring to me anymore. And I was just like, you know, if I'm going to be talking about this, you are the hero thing, what are changes I need to make in my life that are hard? If I'm going to go tell people to do other hard things, I don't want to talk about something that was hard for me a decade ago. Like, let's give something more, you know, recent that I can really, you know, uh, you know, associate with. So I started reading about why, you know, why do people change? Why don't they change? You know, the psychology behind it, building habits, whatever. And I ran across alter egos. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. Alter ego is like Batman. And when you, if you know anything about Batman, actually, you know that Batman is not his alter ego. He considers Bruce Wayne his alter ego. And that is why he embodies Batman so, so perfectly. So for me, I kind of took that and I said, okay, one thing I don't do well is, or haven't done well recently, is I am not doing well with my workout. Uh, you know, got kids now, I'm getting older, all this other stuff. I'm starting a business. The time just doesn't seem to be there. And everybody says, we'll do it in the morning. Well, the only problem with that is I'm a night owl. I would, you know, normally go to bed around midnight, sometimes later. So I wasn't ever really, you know, the early bird gets the word worm kind of guy. So what ended up happening is I said, all right, I'm going to do a challenge. I see how these behaviors would be beneficial. I hate running. We domesticated horses thousands of years ago. And ever since then, we have only been coming up with new technology and ways to not have to run anymore. Planes, cars, you know, jobs to where you just stay at home and sit on your ass all day. Take your pick. So, <laughs> so sorry, I'm getting there. So basically it all came around to, okay, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. I'm going to do a 5K run five days a week, even though I hate running and I don't want to wake up early. And then I threw on, I'm going to do a punching bag because uh, I have one in the office as well in case, you know, I'm a superhero and need to fight evil. <laughs> so that is the hotshot experiment, I'm calling it. And I'm documenting it on TikTok uh, daily for accountability, putting it on LinkedIn weekly. And I have no goals. I'm just trying to figure out is having an alter ego who loves doing these things for 90 days enough for me to assimilate that into my own habits and behaviors. So that's it. We finished week one and, uh, you know, let's just say I ran more 5Ks than I have in my entire life. So it's got to mean something. Man, let's go. So <laughs> in, the, in the moment, 
when you're in the middle of running a 5k, when your alarm goes off at 5am, I, I need the, I need your gut honesty. Are you actually thinking to yourself, all right, I gotta be hotshot, not Steven. Or is that just a post that on TikTok type of deal? Or is it actually helping you to be like, no, I'm hotshot right now. So this is, I don't know if this is just me, you know, I have always done a lot of self-talk out loud. I've just, that's a habit I've always had. Like, Man, like, why are you doing this this way? You know, just stuff like that. When there's been something about creating this idealized version of myself. And the fact that even when I've done it on TikTok, like I'll change my voice intonation a little bit that, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like a lot of people are going to see this. That's why I gave all the context before just giving you the simple <laughs> answer. So people don't try to Baker act me. Uh, which I may still need after this. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it works. Like I've made myself angry. Like I'll never forget it. This was the third day. Day one, day two wasn't that bad. Day three, I felt it. Because when I, get, when I do work out, I get sore two days later. I'm not the guy that gets sore the day after usually. So two days later, I was sore. And then again, third 5 a.m. in a row, I was tired. And I literally was laying in bed. And just like, I just, no, no, don't want to do this. And then I just said, well, Hotshot's going to do it, you dumbass. And I was like, shut up. And I'm just laying there in bed and I'm realizing I'm having this out-of-body experience. Like, am I talking to myself like this? Nobody, this isn't for the cameras. Nobody's here. The wife's asleep. Like, what am I doing? But it worked and it got me out of bed. Ran the 5K. It's <laughs> I love it. I'm glad it works. The first one to admit it. It's weird. No. No, I mean, I think there's somebody who's listening that has already given themselves uh, a name. Now, now <laughs> has it made you change some other areas of your life? Like, for example, when, whenever you commit to something, I try to make goals in a way where it's a domino. So if it's if you know you're getting up at 5 a.m. every day and you're running a 5K, I would think you might start sleeping a little bit more and trying to maybe eat a little bit healthier. Otherwise. It's just going to be even that much worse. Have you made those kind of decisions? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So me and food have an interesting relationship. I don't really care too much about eating. It's never been that important to me. But I also am not, I'm very, I don't want to say picky, but I just have a short list of things that are truly healthy. I'm still very much a kid when it comes to some of this stuff. So, you know, I, I, I don't have a very expanded palate in general. So I don't need a ton of unhealthy stuff. I don't need a ton of healthy stuff. So it's trying to shift the balance just a little bit more to the healthy things. And it's one of those, I've already started thinking about it. I'm like, well, if I'm going to put all this work in and I'm going to do all this fitness stuff, don't you want to just do that little extra step and eat grilled chicken instead of fried chicken? Yeah, I guess so. So it's, it's starting to creep up in my head for sure. So there's, there's no doubt about that. I won't be shocked if that's a natural progression. One thing that has been interesting is how it's improved my relationship with my wife. So she wakes up really early every day. She and her family, they are early morning people. I've never been that. And because of that, we never go to bed at the same time. Like it's very rare occasion, maybe once a week, we would ever go to bed at the same time. Well, now we're going to bed at the same time. And hey, more cuddle time, different stuff like that. And she's like, isn't this nice? Like, she's like, I like having you come to bed with me. She's been more pleasant throughout the day. Don't tell her I said that. But I have noticed that um, as a weird byproduct of this. So I was like, okay, well, hey, I'm all for that. But that was definitely not, that was a, uh, you know, unintended consequence. I guess you could say that's working out for the better so far. There you go. I love it. I'm, I'm feeling challenged by something that you said. There's a book behind me, Mindset by Carol Dweck. And she talks a lot about the difference between a growth and a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset is someone that says, I'm not a morning person. I'm not a runner. I don't eat healthy, whatever. A growth mindset is, all right, let me step out of my comfort zone. Let me learn something new. Let me be okay with failure. And what's interesting is after reading the book, there were certain areas of my life where I said, okay, where, where can I be hotshot like you? I said, okay, where, where can I grow? Because I think that we start patting ourselves on the back of the areas that we're experts in or that we're really good in. For you, it was it was like wealth management. And and so, but I think 
we get comfortable once we maybe have a growth mindset for a minute and then then we start patting ourselves on the back. So so for example, it's like for me, may, maybe I stepped out of my comfort zone by starting this podcast, but now I'm over a year in and it's second nature. And so instead of patting myself on the back, like, yay, it's okay, let me get this to a place where I still enjoy it and I've got a system for it and then say, where else do I step into to grow now? And so it's like this constant lifelong journey of being a learner and pursuing discomfort that I think can go a long way for us. So I, I don't know where, but, but I'm, I'm feeling the call to create my own little alter ego here. <laughs> it, it, look, the research around it was pretty crazy. And one of the studies I'll never forget, they put these kids, um, you know, one at a time in this room that was a mess. Okay. Just a whole bunch of toys lying around needed to be cleaned up. And then there was a table with a tablet that had like shows and games on it sitting there on for whenever, you know, they wanted to go to it kind of thing. So what they did is they had three different groups. The first group of kids, they just said, hey, just go in, you know, clean up as much of the room for as long as you can, you know, kind of a thing. They didn't say anything about the title. They just said, clean up the room as long as you can and just say that, you know, I am going to clean up the room. Okay. First person. So the kids went and did that. All right, there's your control group. So then they sent in the second group of kids one at a time. And the only thing they changed was they said, hey, as you're cleaning up, just say your name in third person likes to clean the room, likes to clean up. So it would be the equivalent of me walking into the room and saying, instead of saying, I like to clean, it was, hey, Steven likes to clean. And the entire point was that first person to third person shift creates distancing in our perception of ourselves. And what they found was that it was like an over, I think it was about a 12% increase in the amount of time the kids continued to clean before they went and quit and started playing on the tablet, just by that small disassociation. So then they got the third group and they told the kids, they said, if it was boys, they said Batman, girls, they said Wonder Woman. And they said, go in there and say, you know, I'm Batman and Batman loves to clean, right? And those kids went almost 25% longer wow. than the other kids did. So the entire thing was just very telling how even at a young age, perception of what other people would do versus the way we see ourselves and what we would naturally do, how that alter ego can really shape our behaviors. And like I said, I'm only a weekend, but I'm I'm already really experienced. I mean, like I said, I've ran. I, I, I don't care what other people think that much, to be honest with you. But just the fact that I know that, look, I, I have the accountability. I told a bunch of people about this, putting this on stupid TikTok. My entire, th my thousands of followers on LinkedIn are going to see about this. Like if I fail, this is going to be a little embarrassing. That was a purposeful step of accountability that I put in place for myself because you listen to any great, and I'm not by any means putting myself at the level of these people, but the Michael Jordans, Kobe Bryant, Serena Williams of the world, they will all tell you that it was the fear of failure that drove them more than the desire for success. So that's all I'm trying to do for myself is make failure as painful as possible. Ah, that's good. Yeah, and it's a lot more painful if you've boldly declared to the universe what you're doing, you know, so it really is. they know about it. <laughs> you've got that accountability there. Um, well, I saw something, I don't know if it was your website or LinkedIn or probably both that was talking about your, how you're helping people to eliminate distractions and build wealth. I, I want to hear just more about your story and how you got there, but I even like the way that you put it. Cause I think, a lot, I mean, I could find a hundred million people that are helping others build wealth, but the way that you said like eliminate distractions makes me think that there's something to it. Are, are, are we distracted people? Do we have things that are distracting us and holding us back from, from building the kind of wealth that many people desire? We are the most distracted generation in the history of mankind. It's just as simple fact as that. And it all comes down to this little notification device that we have right here. Mm -hmm. So they, they say that on average, we see, hear, or read a combination of anywhere from 7,000 to 10,000 ads every day. All right. Whew. So 
it's a terrifying thing when you think about it. It almost doesn't feel real. But then when you think of all the scrolling you do on social media, you know, looking in magazines, anywhere you look like constant ads, right? This didn't exist even 50 years ago. So our brains are being hacked and our delayed gratification capabilities are becoming non-existent. And when you look at, I study millionaires and billionaires, their behaviors, I don't care if it's freaking Kylie Jenner, who I can't even stand, right? You know, as a human being, uh, or if it's somebody, you know, that you've never heard of before. Like yesterday, I was reading about the woman who created Epic Systems, which is a medical device thing. She's a billionaire, Wisconsin. You've never even heard. And I, I don't care who it is. I want to know what they did to allow them to build wealth and specifically to build wealth quickly. And there's just a couple key components that they all end up having. The one that every single one of them has in common was this focus and intentional elimination of distraction that enabled them to be able to do all the other things that it allowed them to be successful. And that's really where it starts. So one thing that I tell people, I'm like, listen, if you're the hero of your story, the ultimate villain that we all face is distraction. And I really like to paint distraction almost as a character in life. Because when you start to question the things that you're doing on a daily basis, and just, you know, first it starts, and this is what I do in all of my financial programs. Um, it all starts with first, you have to define what you want. A lot of people, they have a general direction. They're like, I want to go north. But yeah, I have a general direction of where I'm going. But there's no specific destination. Well, if you are trying to get somewhere and give somebody directions, it's pretty impossible if they just tell you they're going north. I, I can't tell you which way to go, right? So how are you going to be able to ever figure that out? So that's where it's incredibly important to have that defined. Okay, well, this is where I'm trying to be in two to three years. Okay. Right. Now we know where you're exactly what you're trying to get to. Now let's actually evaluate where you are. Okay. Well, this is where I am. These are the resources I have available. This is how I am matching up against the things I said I want to get to. And then you have to create the plan or the journey on how you're going to reach that final destination. Well, what is it that is going to take you off of that path? Why do plans fall apart all the time? Well, it meets the enemy. And in this case, the enemy is distraction. And the thing is, a lot of times, the best distractions, the ones that really hurt us the most, are actually good things. They're not necessarily bad things. Social media is an easy one to pick on. We can all do that. But I'll give you an example of something that happened in my life. I was asked to be on the nonprofit, uh, on the board of a nonprofit. And it was just one of many things I had going on at that time in my life. And what I realized was I wasn't, it was a good nonprofit, you know, they were doing good things, but I wasn't particularly passionate about it. I was just there helping out because a friend, you know, said, Hey, we have an open board spot. We think you could bring value to the relationship. And you know, that was true, but it took up a couple hours of my week. And when you compounded that with everything else I had going on, it just became very clear that, Hey, even though this is a good thing, and I do enjoy helping and stuff like that. This is not in any way or form helping me get to the things that I have defined were my, you know, destination, the, the place that I'm trying to get to. This is, this is draining resources from me, if anything. So I had to cut it out. It was a distraction. And that's what I did. And then I had to reuse all that time and energy and refocus it into getting the things that I ultimately wanted. So that's, uh, that's one quick example, I guess. We are so distracted and yeah, social media, technology, or phones. It's, it's, it's hard because every, you know, keynote that you see someone pulls out their phone at some point and like says that, but it's, we're not going anywhere with it. So it's hard because it's, it's true, but also I really like the practical point you gave about the nonprofit like that. That's good. So for me, for, for the listener, it, maybe it's certain friends Maybe it's a certain activity you're doing. And if those are good things and you love them and it brings you life and helps you with your goals, double down on it. But I, I like the 
the, the call to really ask yourself, what do I want? And then where am I? And then let me create the plan. And if all of these things are pulling me away from that, maybe it is time to cut it out. Friends is one of the most difficult things that people need to eliminate in their life. And they just don't know how, and I don't blame them. It's hard, but friends can be a huge anchor preventing you from reaching success. And what I tell people in those situations, because a lot of times what happens is it's just you, you enter a different stage in life, right? Like, okay, college was great. Maybe you had that, you know, you and your buddies, you always loved, uh, you know, going out to bars or restaurants or whatever the case is, but then grow up some, you get married, you're trying to save up money, that person's still single and they just constantly want to go out, right? Well, it's like your, your life is heading in different directions. Now you have different priorities than this person does. It doesn't mean you don't care for them. You don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't value the friendship that you had, but like many things in life, you know, all good things must come to an end sometime. And at some point in time, that friendship went from being beneficial to an anchor and it's holding you back from what it is you're trying to achieve. And the number one piece of advice that I give people, because like, how in the world do I end this friendship and all this person was in my wedding and all this other stuff. And like, I, I get it. I get it. I, I, I struggled through it too. The thing that I found is the easiest thing is this. You just let it naturally take its course. When they start saying, hey, let's go out. But you know that you want to stay home and you know save that money. Or you just don't want to go out. Some people are like, I just don't want to go out anymore. I'd rather just stay and have dinner at my house. You know, You can come over here. Well, that's what I tell people. I'm like, invite them into your world. Invite them to come along with you to save money, to do the things, whatever it is you want to do. And if they don't, then just say, okay, that's fine. You go out, you go have fun. And then what you will find is it's not going to take a lot. It's just going to take a handful of times of you guys not getting together, turning down plans or whatever. And they will naturally find somebody that's going the same direction they're going. And you will end up finding other people that are going the same direction you're going. So that is one of the things that I would say is probably the biggest piece of advice I could give people um, when it comes to relationships that need to be ended that aren't toxic, you know, they're, they're not blatantly terrible for you. Mm -hmm. It's not helpful. Again, it's a good thing. It's just not helping you get where you want to go. Therefore it's a distraction. It's a good way to put it. So if distraction is the villain, then I'm wondering how long, have, how long have you known that? How long has that been your thing? Is that coaching over the last couple of years? When did you discover, oh, this is it. This is what I'm going to laser focus in on. Yeah, I, I, I remember when I really formed, it floated around the idea that it was distraction was the enemy. And when it really formed actually came, uh, I was reading an article by this woman who called herself the millennial therapist. And I was like, well, that's interesting. So I clicked on it and, I, and it, it was something along the lines of what the millennial therapist says everybody's one problem is, something like that. I was like, okay, you got me. Great clickbait title. What's the one problem? And what she said was, hey, I, I didn't get into therapy to specifically you know, work with millennials. That's just the majority of my base. But it doesn't matter what they end up coming in for. It all ends up centering around the same thing. And that is too many options. And she was like, people don't know what to do with their careers. They have too many options of what to do. They don't know what to do with their education, where to go to school. There's too many options. They don't know who to date, who to marry. You know, how many times can you swipe right in an hour? <laughs> I mean, that's more than what some people had access to in their entire lives as far as a dating pool goes. And now all of a sudden you have that. I mean, you know, I'll never forget going and, you know, when me and my wife were uh, building our, I built my first house, but I didn't know her at the time. So we ended up building a new construction home together. Uh, and she was overwhelmed by the amount of options that we had to choose for the home. I mean, this is everything down to the doorknobs, right? And I mean, it's lot, it, you've got 50 choices just for that, let alone the trim and the paint color and the floors. It was too much. So the thing that helped her was I knew generally what she was looking for. I would go in ahead of her into the designer meetings and I would limit it to three options. And I would say, okay, here's your three options. And then she would choose from the three options. And 
that like really helped her through the process. Now, if she didn't like anything I picked, then we would just reset and go back <laughs> and you know, check it all. But for the most part, 90% of the time, I had a pretty good idea of what she was looking for. So when I realized that this was just so true, that these too many options, I mean, you think about dinner, okay? What are you gonna do for dinner? Are you gonna cook? Are you gonna go out? Are you gonna order out? You can order out and it can be brought to you by all of these very expensive services from anywhere in town. They'll bring you any meal you want. You know, it, I mean, there's a lot of options just in choosing dinner. Whereas if you go back 50 years, it was, well, what do we have in the pantry? <laughs> and then going out was a, a special thing. Our world and our culture has changed and we just haven't adjusted to it well. So when I read that article and I realized, wow, we are absolutely flooded with way too many options. There are too many things vying for our attention, asking us to make decisions. That's when I realized that just like a racehorse that they want you to put the blinders on so they can focus on running instead of everything else that's going on around them. That's what we need in our lives. And that's where I realized the dichotomy of freedom because freedom is not found in unlimited options. That actually produces anxiety. Freedom is found in purposeful boundaries. And then that's where the distraction thing essentially hit. It's good. It's good. We, we are, we are so distracted. I think it's gotten, I, I don't think I know it's gotten worse. One thing that I've noticed as an, and I talked about this on Steven's podcast, but I'm kind of a zillennial, sure. if you will. Uh, yeah. Um, and one thing I've noticed with the folks, my age and definitely like just a couple of years below me who as Tim Elmore generational expert calls it, uh, they were ambushed by technology. Like you, you know, you grow up with an iPad, you are always in group me's, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, all that was like a thing when you were getting your first phone. And right. so you don't know a world without that. And one thing that I've noticed is not only do we have so many options, but now that generation is not committing to things. Like I see this with myself, my friends, and definitely the people below me where it's, hey, what are we doing on Friday night? I don't know. We'll talk about it when we get there. Or if someone- Great example. Yeah. If someone is so bold enough to try to make plans, it's, hey, I'm, I think I can, but I'll let you know. And what you're really saying is, let me see if I have a better option when it comes around. And by the way, how do you think that makes somebody feel when you say that? Like, you know, if- if you're truly somebody's friend, that's where you um, you want to commit to them. And I think it even goes back to now we have too many friends. And I think maybe because of social media and follower accounts and stuff, we're trying to maintain all of these surface level friendships. Therefore, we don't commit to the certain ones because a better option could come up later on. And again, I think it's 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 like the advertisements. There's so many, you can see what everybody else is doing, where they're going. FOMO is a real thing. And so... I, I see that only getting worse I, in like the friend department. I think that's incredibly well said. I, I totally agree. It's, it's this thing to where we've been tricked into thinking that, you know, we should be saying and to everything instead of more. And then mm. people get overwhelmed because they don't know what, what to choose. There's just so many things. And one of the, one of the things I can't, um, in my, my coaching, one of the things I tell people is that your answer to everything should be yes or no, but you should never say maybe. Maybe should be mm. eliminated from your vocabulary because people who can't make a decision, show, there's a saying, it says, show me who somebody who, who can't make a decision, I'll show you somebody who doesn't have a strategy, aka somebody who doesn't have a plan. Yeah. Because again, when you know your destination and you know where you're trying to go, the reason that's so important is because you just get to ask a very simple question to anything that you're bombarded with an ad of, you know, hey, you should buy this thing. I saw you were looking at this on on, you know, the Internet. Now here's this on sale for 20 percent off. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you just ask one question and it's is this going to help me get where I'm going? I, I know exactly yeah. where it is. I'm trying to go. Is this thing? Is this person? Is this event? Is this activity? Is it going to help me get where I'm going? And if the answer to that is not an absolute heck yeah, it is, well, then it's just a no. And the worst thing that you can say uh, to yourself is maybe, because then it creates 
it, it, it creates a queue of decisions that are floating in the back of your brain that you still have to make. Mm -hmm. So now you're eating up mental energy. My wife is terrible at texting people back. It will stress her out physically that she, she does, she works with patients. She's in the medical field. She doesn't have time to like text during the day. She doesn't have like a casual office job. She's very busy. So, you know, unless it's really important, I don't even contact her that much during the day. She'll get five or six text messages from friends or family throughout the day. And then she'll get home and like, you know, we'll be eating dinner, get the kids to bed. And she'll be stressed out that there's five messages she knows are waiting for her that she just hasn't got to yet. Well, a lot of times it's the same thing with us in decisions that we're putting off, even really minor ones. We know they're floating back there. We know we need to say it. And that cue gets longer and longer and longer. And we don't realize the impact that can have on us. And the other thing is it's not good, in my opinion, I think it's kind of selfish to say maybe, all again, if it comes up once in a while, that's one thing, but it's becoming, like you said, our default answer for almost everything. Well, maybe I'll come out, you know, and we'll do that. Maybe I'm gonna see if something better comes up. And the problem is that doesn't just put you on the hook, it puts them on the hook as well. And now mm -hmm. nobody can make a plan and now everybody's trying to figure out what's going on and nothing ever becomes solidified. And that's why I tell people that one of the biggest things that I notice when I study rich, successful, and by the way, when I say successful, I'm not just talking about a number in a bank account. I'm emulating people whose lives, yeah, they've got a lot of money, but they're you know, happily married. They you know, have time you know, for their children. They're doing things they're passionate about. I'm taking all of that into account. Because I don't care if you got $50 million and you're a miserable human being who's been divorced 20 times. All right. <laughs> so those aren't the people I'm taking this advice from. The, the advice that those people who have that level of success that are doing significant things, they've got a big bank account and they're living a life, you know, that the people around them still love and cherish them. They do this one thing really, really well. They say yes or they say no quickly. They make fast decisions. And that is something that I think, again, they, they realize the impact it has on their time. I think that's something that a lot of people could really benefit from nowadays. Yes or no, quickly. And, and by the way, in the friend department, how highly do we have to think about ourselves to be the maybe guy or the maybe girl all the time? Like I think about myself in certain situations or other people that are like, maybe I, I'll, I'll let y'all know. And it's almost like, the posture is, I know I'm really important to you and I'm going to make this so much better. So let me say maybe so that you can have this level of excitement about if I come or if I don't come. <laughs> like I, I've i done that. If you can have the pleasure of my presence later or not, unless somebody comes with a better offer. <laughs> I know. I'm like, there's 8 billion people in the world. There's plenty of other folks for people to make friends with. Do them a favor if it's not someone you're genuinely wanting to like spend a lot of time with and say, no, I'm not going to be there. Thanks for asking me. And they'll probably find somebody else and forget about you because none of us are that important. <laughs> if you have somebody that is constantly a maybe person, you know, girl, you're trying to date, a you know, friend that you're trying to hang out with, and they're constantly giving you the maybes, they're telling you that you're not that important to them. They're letting you know, hey, there are other people that I'm going to wait to hear from. So, Again, if you stop asking that person to do things because they're constantly putting you on the maybe list and you know, you're know you a backup plan, find somebody to where they don't have to think about it and they just want to be around you and they just give you the, oh yeah, you want to do something? Yeah, let's do it. Because being with you is the thing that matters, not the thing that you are scheduling to be done. Mm. Mm. That's good, that's good, that's good. Okay, you alluded to this briefly but I want you to talk about it in more detail. True wealth. Yes. True. Let's wealth. What, are, what are those pillars? Okay. So true wealth is, as I call it, the balance of the four types of wealth, the four types of wealth. The majority of the time when I ask people this, they only ever name one of them. Um, and normally they'll name like five or six of them and they're all part of one of them and that's financial wealth. And what I tell people all the time is I am differentiating wealth and rich for a reason. Rich is defined as monetary financial value, right? Wealth is defined a little more broadly when you look at that. So the four types are financial wealth, time wealth, health wealth, and then social wealth. 
And a lot of times when people will actually, you know, they'll be like, well, Stephen, isn't there a fifth type of wealth? What about spiritual wealth? To which I say, I put a lot of thought into that, actually. And what I decided is that spiritual wealth is actually not its own category. Spiritual wealth is a part of all four types of wealth. So mm. you can't separate spiritual wealth from any form of all four of those. So it really just permeates. It's good. So um, that's, that's what I would say to people about that. But, you know, I, I always give this very quick example to, to make the point of the four types of wealth is I say, all right, there's a man who has um, $10 million in his bank account and he's 45 years old, has a bustling career and everybody at his job loves him. Is he successful? What would you say? Just based off uh, of that knowledge, just based off of that knowledge, if you had to make a call, yes or no, is he successful? I think I know what the right answer is. I would say yes, but then I would ask, tell me about his marriage. Tell me about his time. Tell me about his... Then the next thing. I, right. can't, I can't get exposed here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on. You're just, just playing to the game. You know, I ruined it more with this. You know, yes, he's very successful. Yes. Very you know, successful. You know trap. I'm trapping you for sure. <laughs> so then you go, okay, that's right. So based off that information, naturally by cultural standards, we would say he's successful. All right. So now we go in and we find out, well, his wife's divorcing him and his kids hate him because he's never around. He's working 160 hours a week kind of thing and solely devoted to his job. Well, is he successful? Now people start going, eh, I don't know about that. I mean, maybe the wife was a problem. I don't know. But yeah, it sounds like he had something to do with it. It starts getting gray. And then I'll go the next step and I'll say, okay, on top of that, because he's working so much, he doesn't take care of himself. He's morbidly obese. He has a lot of chronic health problems now, like diabetes that has been brought on by that. He has heart problems and palpitations and all of these things that are going on with his body. Is this guy successful? And at the, that point in time, just about everybody's saying no, right? And it goes to the question, it's like, well, what happened? He has the financial wealth. Isn't that all we care about? But he doesn't have time wealth because he's working all the time. He doesn't have social wealth because his family doesn't like him and his wife is leaving him. And then he doesn't have, um, you know, whatever the other one was, was, the health wealth because he has all these chronic conditions that have been brought on by the fact that he's not taking care of himself. So that's why I'm trying to, with true wealth, redefine what we as a society think wealth actually is. Looking at the car people drive and, you know, how nice of a suit they're wearing at the office, it's a cheap standard that we hold to because normally it's all the information that we have when we meet somebody but i would just challenge people that don't try to emulate people based off of the things they have and the money you believe they have because i know a lot of those people they're actually broke <laughs> so you know it's not uh it's it's not uh, you, you got to look a little deeper into people's lives before you decide if somebody's successful or wealthy sorry mm. and i really like the way that you said how spiritual wealth ties into all of those. Um, that's really good. I totally agree with that. Now, are you, as part of what you're doing through your courses and coaching, are you, are you helping people develop in these different areas of true wealth? Yeah, true wealth is a, um, the concept of it permeates through it. Uh, the first two programs that I have, Foundation and Momentum, those are built for people that or anywhere from zero to 100K net worth, essentially. That's a rough framework. If you're somebody who doesn't have a budget, if you're early on in your career, different things like that, those are really the two that were, I would guide people and say, hey, start there. And then the true wealth principles just kind of guide through it. But there's different steps. You know, the, the foundation one is a very straightforward, this is what you have to do to get your money in order. The momentum course, is about how to generate wealth and grow your income. And again, true wealth principles are applied in all of that. I talk about, you know, one thing that people love about the momentum course when they get into it that they don't even think about is there's a large component to that, which is around social wealth. And a part of social wealth that I talk about is your professional network. Are you actively building your professional network? And this is something I'll, I'll just plug right now for you and a lot of your audience. In one of the things that made me incredibly uh, successful early on in my career was the fact that I networked, uh, as I like to say, I networked with the people who had trophies. And back mm -hmm. when I was working at Gartner, we used to get these big physical trophies every quarter for like 
you know, top salesperson, top retention, whatever. And I always went and I hung out with those people and just figured out what they were doing and assimilated that and then just added my own little flair to, you know. So I was always trying to learn from the people that I knew were the best. And then as I got further on into my career, I started expanding that network and I looked for the people with trophies that were in the positions I wanted to get to. And then it was like, okay, well, I'm trying to get to this position and make this kind of money. What, what do I need to know? What do I need to be good at to get this? That way, when I interview, I'm a no-brainer for these people. And that's what really kind of set me apart was taking this intentional focus. Sure, you may not think that you have a, you know, you don't have direct control over whether or not you get promoted into a position, but people don't do half of the things that they do have control over, like the networking, like the reaching out to the decision makers. Um, I've never heard of anybody reaching out to their boss and their boss's boss for a 30 minute meeting to say, I'm really interested in taking initiative. I want this promotion. What do I need to be excellent at to be the best candidate for it? What are the things that I should make sure that I don't do to disqualify myself potentially for this? And, um, you know, where do you see me right now? What would you see the gaps that I as a professional with this particular skill set would have that I need to bridge within a certain amount of time to be able to be eligible for this promotion? You have that 30 minute conversation. You summarize that in an email right after that meeting and you send it to them. Guess what? You just created a roadmap to start making tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars more getting that. A lot of people won't even try to take that step. 30 minutes, it'll change your life. So that's an example of some of the things I talk about in the Momentum course on leveraging things like your social wealth because it's, it's really powerful. I love that. I love that. The idea of momentum right there. And I think that what you just said is there, there's someone listening to this right now that's never really thought about doing that, but it's, it's not, it's not a crazy idea. It's not like, here's this special hack. And I think that's life. We, we look for a hack and we say, well, this person got promoted. That person got promoted. I do a good job. I don't know why it's not happening to me. And we kind of play this whole victim game and like game, the victim mentality that all happens. Yes. Very I know when, when really it's like you, you probably know deep down what you need to do to take that next step. It's just going to require an extra amount of work or a certain level of vulnerability or discomfort. And here's the other yeah. thing though, you may think, you know, but you don't, you may not know what your boss's boss. You may know what your media boss thinks, but what if your boss doesn't make that call? What if your boss's boss or your boss's boss's boss makes that call? What are their expectations for that role? If you don't know that, I mean, you're in sales. One of the biggest role of sales is never assume anything. Confirm, mm -hmm. confirm, confirm. So don't assume you know, well, okay, if I want to get promoted into management, I need to perform great at sales, I need to do this, I need to do that. There may be one massively important thing that they're looking for, and it could be something that has nothing to do with numbers. It could be something with, uh, I, I want to see somebody who shows a lot of initiative with team building exercises, because then that will show me that, okay, this person knows how to work well with people. Mm. You don't have that on your list. And then all you had to do is volunteer to help with the Christmas party or something like that to give you the leg up on, you know, Janice over here. Well then, you know, that's on you for not knowing all you got to do. Yeah. Is yeah. All you got to do is ask. So, it sounds like you've, you had a lot of success early on in your career as a very young professional in your 20s or so. Is there anything else, any other cool stories or lessons you learned from early on in your career or even something that if you look back, you think you could have done better that somebody listening to this could learn from? Uh, I would say two things. One thing I did well, one thing I did too late. The thing that I think I did well um, I hit winner circle, president's club, you know, in sales, whatever you want to call that, whatever the top awards were. Um, if you work at a place that gives fancy trips for that stuff, you know, I traveled to Rome, Australia, Hawaii multiple times on for free for all, on all of these luxury, you know, amazing trips that I'll never forget. And I'm very grateful for the thing when I got back from those trips, 
there was always a laundry list of people who were in my inbox saying, hey, can you help me get to Winter Circle this year? Can you help me get to President's Club this year? Can you meet with me and give me the secret sauce? And I started off every single meeting with those people, uh, just letting them know that this is very potentially going to be a disappointing conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Because I didn't have anything sexy. I really didn't. I just told them, I said, listen, find the right things to do, hyper-focus on it, and then just be consistent. Effort and consistency. It doesn't matter if you are in carpentry. It doesn't matter if you're in sales. It doesn't matter if you're a nurse. It doesn't matter if you're a social media manager. Okay? It doesn't matter what you do. If you put in consistent effort and you just make sure you're paying attention to the things that make a difference to the business, that you're aligned with that, you will be successful. You will outwork 80% of your competition just on that. Forget talent, right? And you just kind of go and you take things from there. So that was the thing that really just put me ahead of the game. I just did all the ugly stuff. The you know, follow-up is the most ignored, underrated, simple differentiator that anyone in business can make. Mm-hmm. Just a simple email within the first 24 hours of whenever you had a meeting with a client, with your manager, whoever it was, doesn't need to be fancy. Just, hey, based off the meeting we have, you know, I said I would do this, but here's three bullet points, you know, based off our main topics. Here's the thing that you said you were going to do by Tuesday at five o'clock. You're going to get that to me. Here's the thing I said I was going to do. I'm going to have this to you by Friday at five o'clock, no later than that. And then here's the thing that I said I was going to ask my manager for you to see if I could figure that out. And I'm going to have that to you by tomorrow morning. That's it. Quick little bullet points. That's it. Have a nice day. Leave it nice and simple. It's been sent. If you do something like that, you will set yourself apart from, again, 80% of the field just right there with the stupid little email. The amount of people that don't follow up or don't follow up on time is absolutely astounding. You do that little thing, it will propel you so far in your career, you'll be shocked. So that would be the thing that I would say was something that I did well. The thing that I did well way later on that I wish I would have done earlier is build a personal brand. Um, I talked to you about this when you were on my podcast. I think you're doing a fantastic job with this. Um, Thanks. You, you should do a solo podcast on the things that you've learned just doing one. I think it would be incredibly valuable for people. Um, but if you do not have a LinkedIn profile that has a sweet looking banner, uh, if you don't know how to make a banner, that's fine. Go to fiverr.com uh, and pay somebody five to 10 bucks to put it together for you. It's not hard. Okay. Uh, go to Canva free design tool. You can make one there. It'll take you 20 minutes. You don't have to know anything. Click and drag simple. Have a nice banner, professional profile picture for the love of God, for the love of God. If anybody hears this, okay, there's some of you out here, you know exactly who I'm talking about. You are at a wedding, you're in a really nice dress or a nice tux, and you've got your arm around somebody and you cut them off. And that's your LinkedIn profile picture for the love of God. Stop. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The amount of those that I see is like, you are clearly at a wedding and somebody has just shopped out of this. All you need is this really nice, fancy phone that you've got. You need a good light source, a nice top just have somebody take the picture for you it's that simple you can get a professional headshot done that way if you want to pay for a professional headshot even better but just get rid of the wedding pictures i see them all the time it's a pet peeve your about section should not be about the company you work for one of the biggest mistakes i see on there your linkedin profile is about you not the company you work for you can talk about your roles at the your your experiences you can talk about your responsibilities at the company, but it's about you. The amount of people I see put the about section of their company in their about LinkedIn section, it's wasted real estate. Don't do it. And if you really want to get advanced, tell a story about yourself in it, make it a compelling read. So, and then outside of that, I would just say post content at least, you know, three times a week on LinkedIn if you want, if you don't want to be too serious about it. And for those of you that are like, I work a nine to five, don't really know what I'm going to write about. Just write about what you do. Just write about the lessons that you've learned doing whatever it is that you do. 
Not a lot, less than 5% of people post once a week on LinkedIn. So you will never have better reach. And when you think about the fact that you can get in touch with people in big positions that can offer you, you know, more money or higher, you know, level promotions, whatever the case is on LinkedIn, and you can separate yourself and just have your name pop up a few times. Well, guess what? There's corporations paying billions of dollars to get a sliver of your attention. And you can do that for free on theirs if you get on their feet a little bit more. So Woo! say that's what I would say is one of the biggest things that I wish I would have been doing sooner that now I'm doing it and it's already paying dividends. But I wish I would have started five, 10 years ago. Hey, well, you're doing great right now. You're making a lot of progress. And there's somebody listening to this that is going to start early because of what they just heard you say. The last thing that I'll share is from your first point I love it when somebody would come and meet with you and they're waiting for the secret sauce. And you said, you're not going to like this, but it's effort and consistency. It makes me think of this other book behind me, Grit. <laughs> Duckworth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you know about the uh, Grit Equation she talks about? Uh, I don't know. That one's not coming. Was that in the book? I don't it's, know. Uh, yeah, talent times effort. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She says, talent times effort equals skill and then skill times effort equals achievement. And what she says is that effort counts twice. Effort. Like it's all about effort. You know, like you said, it's, you know, if you put in the effort, you're going to be above 80% of people anyways, and you don't have to have all the talent in the world. So I'm not, not going to lie to you. I would move grit to the upper as much. Everybody's hot on atomic habits that you have right now. I would put grit up there. Grit is I've, I've read 25 books a year for the past 10 years. All right. And that doesn't include the audiobooks I listen to. I'm a voracious reader. I would put grit on my top 10 decade list to be completely. Mm. I think it's wow. that good. I think the message is that needed. It's not, not, not saying that it's the, the best book ever written, but as far as the message and how important it is and how impactful it is to the people in our culture nowadays. Oh, I, I, I'd put it in my top 10 list. Man, well, I'm going to have to move it from behind me then. Uh, it's a good one. I, and if you haven't read it yet, one that I'll throw out is Essentialism by Greg McCown. Have you heard of that one? Uh, no. Writing yeah. it down. Essentialism by Greg McCown, also on my top 10 decade list. Um, that one has nothing to do with minimalism. Don't worry about that. Uh, but that one really helped me refine how I looked at distractions in life. That one really helped me focus. When you open that book, you're at Barnes & Noble, you're, you're we're at whatever bookstore you are, just read the first two pages. The story that he is going to tell you is so cringeworthy. You're just sitting there going, I know he's not going to do what I think he's making me think he's going to do. And then he did it. And you're like, ugh. And you want to have this gag reflex. Worst decision ever. Right. And then that's how the book essentialism gets into it. I'm telling you the first two, three pages, whatever the opening story, you'll gag. It's so bad. All right. <laughs> you'll love it because you'll be like, how could you do that? How could you make that decision? And you know, the lessons learned from it are astounding. So, yeah. all right, well, I'm going to have to read it. Um, well, Steven, this has been great. Thank you so much. It's time for you and me to wake up and lead.